the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. We can talk about what's going on in the markets for sure. I find the markets to be news-driven, and it ties into my retirement ideas. So I find there's a lot going on. Um, Let's take a quick look at how the markets open today. Pretty good. Again, I feel that we're maybe in a transition time of are we going to go with the reopening plays and stick with them? Or are we going to go back with the pandemic plays or the free cash flow plays of tech? Tech really didn't, their business didn't really get hit that much during the pandemic. In fact, you'd say probably most of them benefit. When I say tech, I'm talking the big guys. But I could also look at Adobe. Adobe had a fantastic quarter last night. I never talk about Adobe. They are a cloud company in my mind. Just as important as Google and Microsoft and Salesforce. Maybe Salesforce is the right way of looking at them. But I don't want to hit too hard on Adobe. In the last year, they've gone from $290 a share all the way up to $450. That is five years of performance in one pandemic year. So there's a big question on Should we ride that one out or should we go with oil and gasoline investments because people are going to start going back to work, reopening, go back to work. What worked last year, cash flow, work from home. It seems to be a big debate. And inside of that, you get government spending $1.9 trillion to keep the economy afloat and to keep businesses wanting to stick around and hire people which in theory should lead to inflation. Now, is it going to be modern inflation? Is it going to be tame inflation? Is it going to only be inflation for the year that we get that stimulus if nothing takes hold? A lot of questions to rise around that. So who, who tends to answer the inflation question? It tends to be the 10-year treasury. And taking a look at the 10-year treasury, I see it's 1.64%. Kind of better than 17 but certainly not as good as when it was free money, essentially, for anyone who wanted it at 70 basis points last year at this time. 90 basis points last year at this time. I was reading through some Australian newspapers. I know you're saying, that's not a phrase you hear every day. And one Australian bond buying company said, And this is headline worthy, in my opinion. Pensions 
oh, treasury yields at 3% will change everything. Okay, what's it going to change? That's a good question. That's a really good question. What's it going to change? <clears throat> and you get into the article on Bloomberg, and you see Australia's biggest pension fund um, says that their strategy will considerably change. And they think at 3% or so on the 10-year treasury, it would be high enough to imperil economic growth and force the Federal Reserve to respond. Fascinating. I'm not a bond buyer. I know squat about bonds. My depth of knowledge on bonds is an inch deep and a mile wide, which was one of my favorite things ever to say to a KG financial reporter, Lynn Jimenez. We were talking at an investor conference, and she got invited in because she's a reporter. I got invited in because I was managing millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I was able to get into television and explain to people simple ideas. So they, they brought us both in. And at one point in time, she said something that was just inanely stupid. And I said, Lynn, your, your knowledge of finance is an inch deep and a mile wide. And the crowd roared with laughter. And to be honest, I owe her an apology. It's not a nice thing to say. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten better about saying, I didn't have to say it that way. But when I was trying to make a name for myself, I'd made a comparison that was true, but it was rough to hear. With that out there, that 10-year treasury story still haunts me a little bit. It's going to change everything. Whoa. Let's think about that for just a second. <laughs> what happens on the trip to 3% as we go from 90 basis points to one, to one and a quarter, to 1.5, to 1.75, to one, two, 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 I hear two and a quarter, two, 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 two and a quarter, 250. Do I hear 2.5%? Those are exponential moves. When you go from one to two, that's a hundred percent, right? Our Federal Reserve has made it incredibly accommodative. So when an Australian bond buyer tells me it's, it changes everything, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to digest that. I'm going to look at history, and I'm going to say he's right. As interest rates rise, and especially when they rise quickly, it changes the economic landscape. I have $1 million sitting in cash right now. Would I rather get 3% on it, or am I happy getting one percent or uh, what is it now, 1.6%. Three sounds better than 1.6%. So as that goes higher, I'm going to put more and more money into cash. Inflation's going to run somewhere between 2 to 4%. And if I can get 3%, I'm like, that's not bad. At least I'll have the cash kind of available, a little bit more liquid, getting that 3% that if the market drops 10, 20, 30%, I'll have the ability to jump in. I'll have fuel for the fire. But that's just some of the things that are going on with this current stock market. Some other headline news of the day. Tesla says you can now buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Remember, Tesla invested in Bitcoin about 45 days ago, and it doesn't hurt their brand. Millennials are, are brand-driven. I think everyone in their 20s are brand-driven, essentially, is what I'm trying to get at. And they got money. And they appreciate when brands do the right thing. And they appreciate Bitcoin, therefore, they're, they're putting the two, two together. So I don't think, I think Tesla's 
buying a lot of goodwill. Even if they lose every single penny in that Bitcoin, when they won't, I think they're buying a lot of goodwill. A lot of good marketing. TikTok is testing out a seller marketplace. TikTok's very interesting. Instead of running an ad, um, they're trying to say, here's an ad inside of a quick little vignette. And you can get lost on TikTok videos. Yesterday, I spent 20 minutes watching the, the trending TikTok videos because they last 15 seconds. You can get lost watching that stuff. I saw some guy crack an egg, put in a glass, pour Coca-Cola in it, pour vinegar in it. 24 hours later, is it really gelatinous? It, it looks like the, the shell is dissolved. Yes. It's got the membrane still there. So it's kind of like a see-through squishy toy. Weird. I was captivated. But TikTok's testing. Now, when you see that, do you want to buy Coca-Cola and vinegar for the experiment? It's a little different way to go. And I like it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. What are you going to do with your stimulus check? Are you going to spend it right away? Are you going to not save as much and go out to a couple dinners? Are you going to overpay your bills to catch up on them and kind of get ahead? Are you going to sock it away into your retirement account? Are you going to toss it in the stock market, see if you can double it? Maybe a, a horse race? I don't know. Good questions. I want to do any of those. Maybe the investment angle. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for putting up with me. It is cathartic for me. It is good for me to talk my ideas out loud. I hope we all get a chance to do that. Um, one of the big things that I'm looking forward to is the Olympics coming up in the summer. I don't know why. It just seems like we canceled. If you were listening to the show a year ago, it was, are they going to cancel the Olympics in 2020? Are they going to cancel them? Because that was like, it was, it was coming up in four months. That's when we knew the pandemic was really serious is when the Olympics got canceled. That's when we knew, whoa, this isn't going to be something that it's not going to be the flu. Um, now, from my perspective, I look at the money, and I've never seen a, a host country break even on the, the games. The closest that comes to it is like in Los Angeles because they have the infrastructure already. They have the hotels. They have the coliseums. They have the arenas. It seems to me, and it seems, I don't know if, if I were Brazil and I had fundamental problems in my society of just extreme poverty, I, I don't know if I would want to host the Olympics because the stadiums that they built years ago now have been grown over and it's fantastic. It looks like the Garden of Eden. Um, it's not something that you can, it's, it's a lot of money. The bill is going to be at least $2.8 billion. And at one point in time, the Olympics in Japan had, they, they wanted this really cool arena, but it was going to cost about $2 billion to make. So they said, let's scale it back. So they scaled it back to a much smaller venue. And one of the construction, not the construction, one of the uh, managers of the project ultimately committed suicide because it was too much work. The Olympics are filled with stories that are sad. Greece, when they hosted the Olympics, awesome, right? Wrong. The citizens didn't want it. The tourists came and the tourists left. So Japan's not even going to get the tourist angle on this. 
because they said, no, no one from another country is allowed to come. We don't want it to become a super spreader event. It's going to look way different. Um, companies like Visa and Coca-Cola, they spend billions of dollars to be associated with the games. There's a ton of national pride. The domestic sponsors from Japan are things like Asics sneakers and Asahi beer. They've pulled in $3.3 billion to be the domestic sponsors. So again, you get US sponsors, you get Japan sponsors, you get Brazil sponsors, you get all these different countries. It's a big economic event for the world. Now the torch run starts Thursday, which is tomorrow. So I guess probably right about now, a plane's leaving Greece, flying to Japan with the Olympic torch. Could it still be canceled? Yes. There'll be no fans. You don't have to get a shot if you're an athlete, but they're also gonna social distance people. Um, what a curse. And when you look at the Olympics for Japan, they got screwed. I'll be quite honest with you. That whole WW2 thing when Germany was trying to expand their empire, Japan's like, hey, we'll, we'll do that too. We wouldn't mind a couple more islands and let's go mess up China and take some of their property. Uh, that didn't go well for Tokyo and Japan. They had, they had an Olympics canceled on them. Um, Summer Olympics in 1916, 1940, 1944. The Winter Olympics in 1940, 1944. Clearly because of wars. Tokyo Olympic Committee has been racked by sexism scandals, which they're calling some of the Olympic organizers in Japan Olympics, P-I-G, pigs. But I don't know. <laughs> I can see this as a financial mess. Now, do you know who I think one of the winner winner chicken dinners is going to be? Oh, fuck for the record again. Let's talk about the historical relevance to this. In 1940, the Olympics were supposed to be held in Tokyo. There was that war going on in the South Pacific that wasn't quite doable. Um, and then you get Japan's had a society that was great in the 1990s. Fantastic. And then, they, then their, their demographics started getting older and older and older and older. So they've been hit with 20 years of stagnation. They were hoping the Olympics would like be a resurgence of national pride, create jobs, tourism. Nope. Some of those could still happen, obviously, like the national pride stuff, but you get the idea. I believe the women's Japanese women's team is going to be lighting the torch tomorrow. Um, and it is kind of cool. That's one of the things about Olympics I like to see. Like, you get to see the uh, Japanese team clearly different skin color than the American team. You see the American team, a lot of different hair colors. Um, but I do like seeing the cultures kind of clash. I don't know. It's fun for me. And it's a great moment for my kids to say, like, you know, watch this. This, this girl grew up in... Uh, who is it? Scotland? Scotland's never won an Olympic medal. Is that right? And this year they have a chance. I can get teary-eyed thinking about that for a nation. I got some Scottish in me, but I don't really care about Scotland. Just I'm not one of those people who lives in, oh, I'm half Scottish or one-third Scottish. Uh, I'm not that guy. I don't have a kilt or anything like that. But will I be watching to see if she pulls a gold? Yeah. 
So who is the investment angle here? It's probably Comcast, NBC. In 2019, Comcast stock was on fire. People were fascinated by it because they had the Olympics coming up. We're in a bull market. We're in economic expansion. Things were going well, economically speaking, and the pandemic hit. So Comcast has a lot to win. Now, I will be honest with you, and this is going to sound really, really weird. If you got the money to buy commercials during the Olympics, you might be a good stock to invest in. Now, again, that doesn't always work like that, because I remember seeing IBM all over the Winter Olympics a few years back. And I'm like, ooh, as a company, I want to buy IBM. But we're going to see Disney show movies, commercials again. I'm like, I'm so happy Disney's got another movie coming out. They've got 12 superhero movies slated for the next three years. One of them's not lost on me that it's going to be an Asian actor with an Asian superhero, which I think is going to be kind of a cool moment in American history. So kind of hoping, like Verizon's going to be a big sponsor. I'd buy Verizon. I'd buy Disney. I'd buy Comcast, or I'd consider it. Now, again, everything I'm saying right now, consult a broker advisor, taking the action on any stocks I ever mentioned. When you see an athletes adorned in Nikes, I'd buy Nike. Uh, a couple years ago, do you remember the shark swimsuit that Michael Phelps debuted for Nike? And it made him more made the water flow off his body a little bit easier. Nike's not a bad idea. That's four months away. Wall Street tends to think that way into the future. I'm looking forward to the Olympics. Are you? I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. It's Wednesday, which means it's my favorite day on my radio show. I get to talk to the one, the only Patrick J. O'Hare from briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, you'll be complimented to know this. I don't look at your page one column on Wednesdays until after you and I talk, because I kind of want to have that fresh material to go over with you. Um, You're in my head. Like, like, that's a good thing, I think. I don't know if you think of yourself as a celebrity, but you kind of are to me. (laughs) Well, thank you, Rob. I I appreciate that, and I will... uh... Follow uh, Tim McGraw's advice to be humble and kind uh, when I get such nice compliments. So thank you. You probably don't get a lot of fanboys because you're, you're not <laughs> – you probably don't get a lot of fanboys, but I fanboy on you. But go tell that to your kids and show them how popular their dad is. Um, All right. <laughs> taking a look at your column right here right now at briefing.com, page one, stock market reacting to some fab news. I saw this story last night. I'm guessing you're going to be talking a little bit about Intel to kick us off. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, so Intel last night came out with a, with a big announcement, you know, that they're going to spend up to about $20 billion to build two new um, manufacturing facilities in, in Arizona um, to effectively be able to, you know, also produce their own chips uh, domestically and then also to take on the work for other companies, other fabulous companies who might need them for their uh, manufacturing capabilities. Um, and so it's a big move uh, being undertaken by the new CEO there, Pat Gelsinger. And, and uh, you know, and from what I've read from the analyst community this morning, I mean, it, there are mixed reactions to this to this development. But I think, you know, tangentially, it, it sounds like a good move in the sense that you help uh, mitigate 
potential geopolitical risk by, you know, sourcing things here more uh, in the United States as opposed to relying on a lot of those uh, foundries over in, in Asia, you know, particularly Taiwan Semi manufacturing, um, you know, so you can kind of, you know, try to get out ahead of this. Now, it's obviously going to take some time, clearly, to build two new fa- manufacturing facilities, but I think it's it's a it's on the right strategic roadmap uh, for for Intel in our estimation. It's going to sound odd to say, but instantly I was like, I should buy some real estate down in Arizona, wherever those fabs are going in, because I remember when Elon Musk made his big battery factory in Reno, real estate prices within ten miles of that factory shot up. I see the ramifications of Intel spending twenty billion, good for real estate, good for jobs in America, and also just confidence. They, they have confidence America's going to rebound. So I see a lot in that story, but um, Wait, not, you're not necessarily right. invest you're in Intel, right though. Too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because Ruxizer's paper, I'm still going to go with NVIDIA personally over Intel as a mm-hmm. semiconductor, but I'm, I'm happy for Intel and getting it out of the state of California is not a bad thing either. Um, but let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to some other uh, stories. Adobe, you highlight Adobe in your page one column today, and Adobe is one of those dot com stocks or tech stocks that has always been under the radar, but it's been a great performer. What do we need to know about Adobe today? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think I, I put it in there largely from just you know from a sentiment standpoint. I don't follow Adobe specifically, but um, but it is one of those you know, technology companies that, uh, you know, as you say, just kind of just always seems to deliver stock does great. And, um, you know, as we talk about a a market that's kind of trying to figure out what's going on with growth stocks right now and, you know, what lies ahead, um, you know, it was just really good earnings news from Adobe. And, um, you know, I think earlier this morning, Adobe might've been down. I haven't looked at it recently, but, uh, you know, kind of goes to show some of the expectation hurdles these, these you know successful growth companies face right now in a market that's that seems to be pretty uh, wrapped wrapped up in um, you know in trading the value stocks, uh, notwithstanding what happened yesterday, but uh, but clearly embracing the idea that uh, 2021 is a year for value, uh, based on the idea that you're going to get economic growth acceleration and uh, and much stronger earnings growth for a lot of these value companies, which face some some pretty easy comparisons. So. I don't think there's anything, you know, when you look at Adobe trading down today, it doesn't look, you know, there's nothing to say that, you know, the company did anything bad or or that it was uh, a troublesome report. Um, it's just kind of a sign of the times right now that, uh, you know, market sentiment is just tilted in other directions. And we may not like the one-day performance, but people like you and I can agree we want the one-year, three-year, five-year, seven-year, ten-year. It's been good. Um that's right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> it seems to me we should be talking a little bit more about Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. They had big days um, this week. What did we learn from them or what do we need to know? Well, you know, they both, you know, they're talking right now for the Senate Banking Committee. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, don't mean to sound flippant, but I don't think we learned anything new from them. Um, and, and that's to say they, they stuck to their party line that they've been talking about, you know, for months now, and that it's the idea that you have, uh, you had a strong need many months ago, obviously, for aggressive fiscal and monetary stimulus response. Uh, and they've extolled the idea that uh, that has been instrumental in helping the economy recover from its pandemic lows. 
and they are right in that assessment. Uh, they're also extolling the idea that uh, it's still too early to let up on any of those stimulus efforts. And that's where I think the market kind of is also trying to get its mind around whether that's really true <laughs> um, or whether, you know, they might be playing with fire right now uh, with all of the stimulus that's still coming through. And, um, and, and, and I think it's created, you know, a little bit of turbulence here um, for the market, obviously, as interest rates have come up on the growth expectations, but also uh, rising inflation expectations. And, um, you know, the, the article I published to the big picture last Friday, uh, you know, posited the idea that, uh, it, you know, the next, in the next few months, we're going to get some scary looking inflation data. It's just mathematical. Um, but, you know, the Fed Chair Powell in particular, you know, could be playing with, you know, it could be a case of trial by fire in the treasury market over the next few months because this market's very impatient. Uh, both on the upside and the downside. I mean, it, it gets an idea in its head and it runs with it, right? So you've got Fed Chair Powell saying, hey, we're going to get some scary looking inflation data in the next few months, but don't worry, you know, it's, it's transitory. Um, well, we'll see how the market takes that when the actual data hits. Um, you could get a little bit of a scare uh, factor there in the treasury market to get rates going up in the midst, in the fire of all these inflation data. Uh, then the Fed, you know, could have some trouble on its hand in terms of trying to control the market's uh, inflation expectations. I used to have an economist on that said the Federal Reserve has caused every major recession in the United States in the last hundred years. And this is why you and I have conversations like this. Maybe he was right. Maybe he was wrong. But we are paying attention because I saw one Fed governor. I was looking at briefing.com yesterday, the in play section where Fed chairman, not chairman, but Kaplan said that he expects interest rates hikes in 2022, which is kind of going against what Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed, is saying. So it, it is going to be dramatic. It's not going to be uh, Muhammad Ali dramatic, but it, it's going to be an interesting fight um, as 2021 turns into 2022. What else are you working well, on that we need to be aware of? Or do you want to add to that commentary? Well, I was going to say, you know, there's no doubt about it. And I think there's going to be a lot of uh, fighting within the Fed. Um, you also had Raphael Bostic out uh, Atlantic. Uh, the Atlanta Fed president um, late yesterday also uh, saying that, you know, he's not expecting a rate hike into 2023. Right. And uh, and that, you know, he thinks it's still way too early to, to let up on the, you know, the quantitative easing program. Um, so, you know, you can see the, you know, the division of opinion starting to, you know, boil up there within the Fed. And that's only going to get more prominent, I think, as we get closer to 2022. And certainly as we start to see, you know, some of this stronger inflation data in coming months. Um, but it, it is going to be, you know, uh, the, the way that the Fed chair is, is positioning things, it, you know, it makes it sound like it's, you know, just an easy breezy deal trying to get, you know, inflation back in the bottle if it happens to, you know, come running out in full, you know, full fashion here. And um, yeah, they could, they could hike interest rates, I suppose, to, to help control inflation. But, you know, what does that do? Right. Well, that will, kill the economy. <laughs> and, and then you get back into this circle again. It's like, well, if they're going to kill the economy with higher rates. Well, then they're going to try and do something like probably continue their asset purchases. I, you know, it's just a mess kind of thing. It's not going to be an easy extrication from this extraordinary policy stimulus because so many market participants have so much wrapped up in, in the Fed's policy, both, you know, primarily in good terms, but, you know, starting to count potentially for some of the bad terms that could come on the other side of it. 
Is there anything else that we need to be aware of that you're working on at briefing or that you see some of the other briefing associates publishing, uh, getting their fingers Um, into? Yeah. You know, one thing I I did want to point out for your listeners, Rob, is, you know, as we, we talked a lot about the fed today and I'm just going to kind of stay on that tack. Um, Inflation expectations are are key here, right? And Fed Chair Powell has really emphasized that, you know, the Fed's credibility in large part revolves around, you know, maintaining inflation expectations. Um, there are sources, you know, your listeners can go to to kind of keep an, an eye on those inflation expectations. The St. Louis Federal Reserve has a great website, the Fred Economic Data. Um, you know, you can just type in five-year break-even inflation rate, and that gives you a, a you know, a sense it's updated daily and it gives you a sense of how the market is looking for inflation, you know, what the average is likely to be over the next five years. It's currently around two and a half percent. Okay. Well, that's, that's great in the Fed's mind because it kind of sort of wants it above 2% right here. But, you know, if that number keeps going up, uh, then it will, you know, start to, you know, create some issues for Fed Chair Powell and the need to kind of keep the market's inflation expectations in check so they don't get out of hand. Uh, and that could, uh, you know, lead potentially to some buying action at the long end of the curve um, or, or uh, you know, or, you know, relaxing, I'm sorry, I should say relaxing some of that buying interest within the, in the treasury market. So, um, so just stuff. something that, to keep an eye on here. Thank you so much. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. I start my mornings every day with his page one, and there's so much content on the website. Um, international, domestic, all sources I find very credible. I'm Rob Black. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So there's something called generational lows in investing. And this time last year, I was talking about this is a once-in-a-lifetime buying opportunity. Eh, I think that's kind of true. Is the party over after one year? historically not when it's a generational low it's been a heck of a run off the 2009 lows but compared to other secular advances the gain still relatively modest let me give you an example we're up 481 percent on the s&p 500 from 2009 to today that's pretty darn good you tend not to get 10-year returns like that 11-year returns all that often If we were to go back to another time when the markets dumped, 1982 to 2000, the 70s ended with high inflation, expensive gasoline. It ended with the 1980 Olympics struggling with Iraq having hostages in the United States, Ron Reagan getting rushed in, kind of on a populist angle versus a political angle, maybe a little similar to Trump and what the type of rhetoric they brought to the table. Um, I would think if you were to study Trump, he probably learned some lessons on how to handle the media from Reagan. But I could be wrong on that because I'm really not that knowledgeable in politics. But in 1980, our economy was in shambles. And that's when we started coming up with yuppies and people like Michael J. Fox on Family Ties. And we were like, he's a Republican. (laughs) He's very conservative. And the 80s turned into a 1,400% return before there was a big correction, before that bull market ended. So we're up 481% now from 2009 to the present, but from 82 2000, up 1,400%. And if you go back to World War II, 
right around the time of Pearl Harbor, the markets were in the dumpster, dumpster fire. Toilet, whatever you want to call it. And then from 1942 to 1968, the markets went up 1,350%. Now, I know you can't always compare rebounds and bull markets, but I think that's a pretty good one to say, could there be more gas left in the tank for this, this run? And the answer is, it didn't just last 10 years in the 1940s, and it didn't last just 10 years in the 1980s. I'm not telling you what to do. You can find out more about what I do by going to robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. The tragedy in Colorado yesterday reminds me, again, that life is very, very fragile. You know, there was more pedestrians killed last year than any other year. And you're like, but we're, did we drive last year? And the answer is we drove a lot less last year. What is it? Are pedestrians looking at their phone? Or are we day drinking and going on the road and running over pedestrians? The tragedy in Colorado, I'll talk about in the coming days. As soon as it starts to hit the politicians and they start talking about, we need to do a ban, there's publicly traded companies. There's companies that sell ammunition that will go higher if it looks like the Democrats may get a ban in, will go lower if it'll get put in, but not very dramatically. I'm not ready to talk about that. I made a mistake a couple years ago talking about the fires in Sonoma. And uh, someone called the show and said, what, what do you think about PG&E? And I said, it really depends on, you know, um, the courts, the bankruptcy courts. Um, we know the fires caused PG&E a, a great deal of distress. And I think there was a fire marshal, for lack of a better word, uh, he said, Rob, you can't be talking about PG&E as an investment until all the bodies are recovered. And I'm like, you're right. It's quite a dilemma, is it not? Because as you're going through it, you want the immediacy of the what would Rob do. But the reality is you got to give it a little bit of time here. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. Um, IRS are making more people eligible for the $10,200 unemployment tax break. Taxes are issue this year. Um, they're saying get your taxes in sooner than later. Don't use that extra month. But it feels very dynamic. But that's right around the corner. Lawmakers are calling for a prop payment of $1,400 stimulus checks to Social Security beneficiaries. Can't really disagree with that, can you? GameStop is getting beat up today, down 12% disappointing results. What was interesting is they don't really want to talk about what's going on on the bulletin boards. They don't really want to talk about Reddit, but they did hint, we may sell some stock at these inflated prices from a year ago, and then maybe we'll go out and do something with that cash. But I was listening to the conference call yesterday. I was really taken aback a little bit on how um, it's almost like a no-no conversation. Intel shares are rising today after saying they're going to build two major chip plants in Arizona. Chips? They're going to make Doritos? No, semiconductors. Spending $20 billion is a sign of confidence. I like the sign. I still don't want to buy Intel, but I like the sign. 
Steelcase, their big furniture company, their stock is lower after giving weaker than expected guidance to the first quarter. They do a lot of office furniture. And I'm still seeing a lot of surveys of people like, don't want to go back to work. I can tell you I have not been in the Cron Television building in over a year. I have not been into the radio station in Fremont in over a year. They probably don't need to update their, their office furniture. So a company like Steelcase struggles with that. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can always find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Do not be shy. Participate. This is a show about getting into retirement. Find me online at robblackshow.com.